Friends, as we continue through our Half-Truths sermon series with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, I want to remember with you why we're doing this. Uh, when we use specific phrases, phrases like, the devil made me do it, or everything happens for a reason, or God helps those who help themselves, we sometimes neglect sound doctrine. We may trust the phrase because we've heard it said by people who love us and who love the Lord, or because it represents something that we are hoping for, when in fact the phrase itself may not represent the whole truth we find in God's word. Sometimes we use these phrases because we are avoiding carefully thinking about a complex issue or because we want to justify what we already know about God or what we already know about the Bible. We're pursuing this sermon series because when we use these phrases, we can hurt people. We can lead people to make conclusions about God that are not true. We may push people away from God. We're also doing this because God called us to be his representatives in the world, and it's appropriate for us to pause and consider how we are representing God in the things we say. Curiosity Curiosity without shame or judgment is a really important mark of a disciple. It's important that we get curious about this phrase in particular, God helps those who help themselves, because it's simply not in Scripture, and many people believe that it is. Barna Research Group conducted a survey revealing that 75% of Americans and 40% of Christians believe this idea is found in the Bible. A more recent survey says that 68% of Christians believe this statement is in the Bible. In fact, many Christians thought it was one of the Ten Commandments. God helps those who help themselves. Not here. That would never happen here. Uh, 75% of American teenagers said it was the Bible's central message. God helps those who help themselves. So as we turn to the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, I would like Psalm 51, 16 through 17, to shape our attitude towards it, towards ourselves and towards one another. This psalm is typically used um, in the confession and assurance part of our liturgy, but really it's a psalm that should deeply inform all of our walk with God. In it, the psalmist is learning that God cares a lot about the posture of our hearts, just as much or perhaps even more than God cares about the sacrifices we bring or the things we do. So I invite you now to hear this word of the Lord from Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17. You, being God, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, 
will not despise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, as we seek to know you more each day, we pray for a broken and contrite heart, a heart that longs for you, feet that desire to be in step with you, a mind that wants to know you, and authentic relationships where we can wonder even more about you. God, I pray your blessing over the words I speak now and the conversations that will happen as we continue to engage this book as a community. Honor our efforts to follow you more faithfully. In your name we pray. Amen. God helps those who help themselves. I can't say that's a phrase I've heard floating around North Holland word for word. I haven't heard you say in passing, God helps those who help themselves. Um, It's not really something that I say when I'm talking to fellow Christians, but I think the phrase begins to feel a lot more familiar when we break it down. God helps those who help themselves means that God honors my hard work. God sees the good I do and blesses me. When I put money in the offering plate, God keeps me financially stable. When I make sacrifices that allow me to follow God more faithfully, God favors me. When I get myself out of a messy situation, God is proud of me. God helps those who help themselves. We love stories of those who come from humble beginnings, work really hard, and achieve success. We love people who help themselves. Perhaps that's an important part of your story. I know that that's an important part of the story in my own family. And here at church, we value hard work. We work really hard, too. The volunteers who organize the Wednesday night meal do not sit at home and pray that dinner shows up each Wednesday at 5.45 p.m. Lana Dupree would not have that. She and her team go out and they buy food, they organize snacks for the crossing, they prep dinner, and they serve it. That's true for Sunday morning, too. We don't just pray, though we do pray, that everything comes together and show up at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. Songs are selected, and arrangements are made. The liturgy is crafted, the bulletin is put together, the music is painstakingly practiced on Thursdays, and again on Sunday mornings before service. We believe that God blesses our efforts in worship, and that God blesses our community on Wednesdays when we give of our time and our talents, when we're working hard. In all of these ways, we do believe that God helps us when we help ourselves. We do believe that God calls us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. We believe that faith without works is dead, so we instill these values in our children. We don't just pray for Eagle Crest Alaska missions or Christ's outreach for the blind. We send our RCYF youth to those locations because we believe that God blesses both us and others when we serve. We build intentional relationships with organizations like Atlas or the Holland Rescue Mission because we believe 
that God uses people to make a real difference in this world. The author of Half-Truths, Adam Hamilton, Pastor Adam, puts it this way in his book. God is not going to drop food on your table, force someone to hire you for a job when someone is more qualified, or make people spend more for your home than it is worth. We can pray and pray, but we also have to do some work in the process. So we pray and we work. We pray and we work. So the half-truth behind this statement, God helps those who help themselves, is that God works through people. That's repeated over and over again in Scripture. We are the instruments God uses to change the world. And God often blesses the efforts of those people. In this sense, God does help those who are helping themselves or their communities. I do want to take a moment and name that our belief that God helps us or provides for us or blesses us when we help ourselves or when we do good works, that idea is challenged when bad things happen to good people. Just this week, a parent who was respected in our community died from cancer at the age of 52. Sometimes honest CEOs lose their business. Sometimes a teenager defends a bullied classmate and is mercilessly ridiculed for the rest of the school year. When we are doing good things to help ourselves or help others and bad things still happen, we sometimes wonder if God really does help, if God is helping. I have wondered that before. I'm sure I will wonder that again. If you haven't read the book of Job, he and his friends have a lot of questions about why bad things happen to good people who are working hard to help themselves and others, and why good things happen to bad people or to people who are not working hard to help themselves or others. just want to name that. But the really important problem with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is that God's grace, or God's blessing, or God's help comes after we help ourselves. We do the good thing, and then God helps. God's help becomes something that is earned. God's help becomes something that is earned. When we know from Romans 5 and many other passages like it, that God's help is extended to us when we do not deserve it. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says it this way. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's undeserved help is called grace. Grace. When is grace extended? When we're sinners. When we're still powerless. When we are ungodly. When we are poor or destitute or without resources because we have descended so deeply into despair. It's in the moments when we have made a mess of things and can't 
fix them, that God's heart is drawn to us. Once again, the author of Half-Truths puts it this way. This concept of grace is central to the Christian gospel. It is the undeserved work of God in our lives, the unmerited favor of God. Grace is not something we earn, buy, or work for. We cannot help ourselves into grace. We can only ask for and accept it. The essence of grace is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. So think back with me to Psalm 51, 16 through 17. The Hebrew word that's translated for heart, having a contrite heart, refers to a person's inner being. It's their feelings, will, our mind. It's our worldview. And the word contrite means to be broken or crushed, to be cast down. Sometimes, in some translations, the word is translated as a, as a bruising of the heart, bruised of heart. So having a contrite heart means recognizing our sinfulness and brokenness. It means being teachable. It means being humble. In fact, being crushed, bruised, and broken is often a prerequisite in Scripture for being healed, forgiven, and transformed. Being a disciple of Jesus means cultivating a contrite and broken heart. So this doesn't mean that God gets excited about our brokenness or wants to literally crush us in our most vulnerable moments, but rather it does mean that God already knows the places that we have fallen short, the places that we are struggling, and God is waiting with grace for us to be honest about that rather than offering these meaningless sacrifices to distract us from that other stuff. God is ready to extend grace because God helps those who cannot help themselves. Now, God doesn't always take us out of a situation or change our circumstances as a way of helping us. But this type of grace means that we can go to God when we don't have our act together, because it's exactly when we don't have our act together that God is most eager to be merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That's the contradictory logic of God's grace. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder about the places we believe God will not help us until we've helped ourselves. I wonder about the situations where we genuinely think God is not going to extend grace to us because something is too messy or unpolished or wrong. And it makes me wonder if we have allowed anyone to know those parts of ourselves. Another really important problem with the phrase, God helps those who helps themselves, is that it can be used as a way of avoiding our obligation as Christians to help others, of doing our part to love 
our neighbors. There are dozens upon dozens of places in both the Old and New Testaments where God commands his people to take special concern for those who cannot help themselves. So here's just a small sampling of the probably hundreds of passages where the Bible talks about this. This first one is from Leviticus 23. When you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of the field and don't gather every remaining bit of your harvest. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. This next one is from Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. And similarly, from Proverbs 22, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And one from the New Testament, from James. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Showing compassion and mercy for those who struggle is part of God's character. God consistently calls us to help those who cannot help themselves or those who may require help before they can help themselves. So while we can and should debate the best ways of helping and not hurting people, what is not debatable is our calling to help. We know that sometimes our neighbors get into messy situations because they make a series of poor decisions. Sometimes it is easier for us, as the outsiders looking in, to see what our neighbor should do in order to fix that situation. Therefore, whether we name it or not, we are sometimes not willing to help our neighbor unless they're agreeable to our solutions for their problems. Or, we are not willing to help our neighbor until they've changed their behavior and proven to us that they're on the mend. Sometimes we spend a lot of energy deciding if our neighbor deserves our help in the first place, weighing whether or not supporting them will be worth our efforts. If this is the second or the fifth or the 20th time that they've needed help for the same thing, the same thing, maybe you're getting sick of helping. So we decide that they're not working hard enough they're not trying hard enough. They're not doing enough to help themselves. And then we definitely go behind their backs and talk about them. That is not the mentality of one who has a contrite heart. The one who knows that it is possible for any person, including oneself, to face a challenge that cannot be overcome alone. Contrite hearts know full well that sometimes we know the good that we ought to do, and we are just not capable of doing it. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Sometimes we are ashamed that we're still dealing with the same thing. Sometimes we're afraid of being judged or rejected. Sometimes going and getting help is just not possible. When we choose to walk away from someone who cannot help themselves, we are not allowing God the opportunity to bring about that help. 
if the half-truth behind this statement is that God works through people, that people are the instruments God uses to change the world, then we hinder the work of the kingdom when we do not help our neighbor. So I wonder, with lots of grace, I wonder, who in your life are you making excuses about helping? I wonder what you've assumed about that person before getting to know them, some of the conclusions you've made about them. And I wonder what it looks like to love that person or to help them while also caring for yourself, because that's really important too. I was talking with um, Allison the other day about how difficult it can sometimes be to get to the application point in the sermon, um, which is like the, what do I do with this, or why does it matter uh, part, um, because I simply don't always know what God wants every individual to, in this room to hear. Um, and it would be really time-consuming and probably not fun for you for me to go down the pew and tell all of you what I wonder about for each person, though I would really welcome hearing some of your thoughts about what God stirs up in you as we consider helping those who cannot help themselves. So all I can do is get curious with God about this phrase. God helps those who help themselves. And all I can do is be authentic with God about the places where it's hard for me to accept God's grace. And be authentic with God about the people I just don't want to help. So if I'm up here and I know it's hard for me to accept God's grace, and if I'm up here and it's hard for me to love all of my neighbors, I'm going to trust that it's hard for some of you also. I'd like to offer this word of encouragement from Pastor Adam, the author of Half-Truths. He writes this as the conclusion to this chapter. So I'll read it for you now, and I invite you to notice what words feel meaningful for you, and I invite you to get curious about what God's invitation is for you today. So hear these words from a pretty compassionate pastor. You will find, if you haven't already, that a time will come when you cannot help yourself. There are things from which you simply cannot save yourself, no matter how hard you try. You will not have the strength or the resources or the knowledge. And there may be times when you don't believe you deserve help because you know you're responsible for the difficult situation in which you find yourself. In those moments, we cry out to God, the only one who can help us. And despite the fact that we are sometimes poor or weak or afraid and that we've made a mess of things, God reaches out and picks us up and makes us clean. God says, I love you. I will not abandon you. Put your trust in me. Together, we will make this right. This is the message we find from God over and over again in Scripture. I am here, says God. You matter to me. Your life has meaning. Nothing, no matter what you may have done or been unable to do, can separate you from my love. That's what we call grace. Thanks be to God, who helps those who work and pray 
and even more, thanks be to God who helps those like us sometimes who cannot help themselves. Friends, would you pray with me?